0: So uh, welcome everybody to the building business room. We are trying an experiment here on Clubhouse. We were doing a, we're doing a live podcast, uh, which is going to be recorded, and then what we're going to do is we're going to try and repurpose that content. So we're checking out the technology here to see how it works, and we're going to spend, we're going to spend fifteen minutes uh, with our special guest today, David Cohen. So, David, welcome to the Building Business Room. And uh, the rules of engagement here, anybody listening in uh, can add to the conversation, can ask some questions. But basically, it's David that is our uh, special guest, and the general topic is negotiation. David, do you want to give the 30 seconds on yourself, please?
1: Sure. Uh, My name is David Cohen. I am a partner at Gowling WLGA, uh, with offices in nineteen. Uh, different cities around the world. Uh, I head our financial services uh, institutional client practice, uh, which is one of our largest practices. Uh, I am a restructuring and lending lawyer. I also spend a fair bit of time in, uh, you know, my own business, which I have on the side. And I'm a former head of the Turnaround Management Association, the global chair and the global president 2016 and uh, 2017. So from that perspective, I have a fair bit of experience in,
0: uh, in negotiation, particularly in the restructuring sector. Thank you. And Anna is uh, one of our moderators here, and uh, and I'm sure we'll jump in with some questions or comments. Anna, do you want to give the 30 seconds
1: on yourself, please?
0: Anna, you're on mute. Oh, there you go. Yes. Oh, yeah, there
1: we go. Hello, everyone. So, yeah, my name is Jorah, and I am coming from the biomedical background, so my specialty is medical devices, and I'm working in medical device industry for the last uh, seven years. I'm running an agency out of Alberta, uh, and I represent a number of companies, international, Canadian, um, and I'm also building an educational platform for people who are trying to enter medical device industry. And I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Anna. <clears throat> My name is Scott Sinclair. I'm the founder of Sinclair Rage. I am a, an investor and purchaser of troubled businesses, a lender to troubled businesses, and I help troubled businesses uh, turn their affairs around. And, uh, and for 30 years, oh, that's not true. David, how long have we have been friends? Uh, 15 years, something like that? <laughs> oh,
1: It's longer than that. Uh, it's <laughs> probably 20, uh, 22 years now.
0: Wow! Wow! So for a long time, and I would say that David is a master, a master negotiator on a global scale. Um, if you are not familiar with the industry, you may not have gotten from his introduction that basically what he does is he works for a bank or he works for a company when the bank and the company are negotiating um, and other stakeholders as well it could be a landlord, could be suppliers, but when things are going wrong between the two parties David is acting for one of them and he's one of the few lawyers that I know that is really not just advocating he's actually trying to find a solution he's trying to persuade which to me is the heart of negotiation and uh so he's trying to persuade and find solutions and and negotiate so David um, let's start I, I'm curious do you have a a philosophical approach to negotiation. Do you have a uh, like a formula? Let's talk about a formula. Like when you enter into every situation, do you just wing it, um, or do you do you have a game plan? Not not necessarily specific to the situation, but an overall game plan for all negotiations. Well, I mean, it's interesting. I would tell you that in my experience, there is always a little bit
1: of winging it because you don't. There are a series of unknowns. But therein lies the strategy. Um, when I taught at Osgoode Hall Law School at York University in Toronto, I actually taught a course on bankruptcy. And uh, it was entirely centered around a uh, insolvency simulation exercise or a war game designed to teach students how to negotiate in the context of insolvency. And the idea was to bring together the substance of the law with the substance of negotiation. And the whole course was really about multilateral negotiation. So let's start from the premise that you're just not, you're usually not just negotiating with one person or one stakeholder uh, often in a negotiation. You have, you know, the complexity in negotiation comes from multilateral. So my philosophy around multilateral negotiations is listen. listen first you need to understand what it is that each party at the table values you need to understand clearly what or try to perceive what it is that they wish to get out of an engagement or with you in a negotiation the idea behind that is that you cannot plot a solution to the negotiated settlement that you're looking for unless you have some idea of what the circle of interests of all the parties look like. And you're looking to find where those interests intersect or overlap and take advantage of those overlaps. And to the extent to bridge the gap between two circles of interest in negotiation, that sounds pretty academic, but it's not. It, what it is is you can't get a deal unless parties have some something in common between them sometimes it's the best alternative to the negotiated <laughs> agreement is such garbage that they have to be at the table with you and that puts their circle near your circle sometimes it is that they um, your circle and their circle are, are significantly overlapped and there's a lot of commonality and you can create a win-win negotiated environment at the end of the day the hardest negotiations you will always have are the ones where the two circles are completely distance apart. And what we call the distance between them, we call it the bribe line, or I call it the bribe line, which is, which is, it's not a bribe. It's, it's, it's the, the line that you have to create some economic interest to bring those two parties together, whether that be the alternative is worse or whether that be the, um, you have to sweeten your deal to close that gap or they have to sweeten their deal to close that gap. At the end of the day, I always like to say, when everybody's
0: really unhappy with the deal, you probably arrived at the right solution. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, love, I love that David, thank you. And Anna, feel free to jump in at any point here um, as we would typically do on Clubhouse. Do you got something you wanna throw in there?
1: Actually, yeah, I do have a question Um, about successful negotiation, but how often does it happen when you need to walk away from the table? From your experience, did it happen in your practice? And what were the cases where you feel that negotiation will not come to that fruitful uh, result that both parties potentially are interested in? That's a great question. (laughs) If you could see me, you'd see that I have a big grin on my face because sometimes the best deal that you can do is the alternative deal, which is to walk away. Um, when I catch people lying openly in transactions or in negotiations, you will see me fold the, the folder in front of me, the binder that I've got in front of me, which are my notes for the negotiation. I prepare deeply for negotiations. I try and understand the other side. If I find that somebody is lying to me openly for the most part, um i will fold my folder up and that's a sign that i've I've checked out of a negotiation and i do it quite overtly uh i sometimes tell my client there's no point in having this conversation and now we get up and walk out of the room um it's happened often in my career and so because you have to be uh, if you are a principled negotiator i come from the getting to yes Model the Harvard Law School model of of or the Harvard Business School model of negotiation. Uh, the, the book is called Getting the Yes. It's really worth a read. I come from that. And principal negotiation means that you, you sort of agree that until there's a final agreement, you're not giving anything on the table. And then you look for what is the uh, the best the best negotiated settlement, and then you compare it to your alternative. And then you make an economic decision about whether this is a negotiation that should continue or whether you've tried your best and you need to walk away. Um, I'm really happy to say in 30 years, I think I folded the book maybe five times. Uh, and most often when the person on the other side of the table was a, a just an outright crook, uh, a liar and a cheat. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, that um, negotiations are about some kind of continuing relationship. Not necessarily a continuing business relationship, but a continuing relationship. So I view negotiations not as, as of the negotiation, the actual subject matter. It's about the people in the room. And the first and most important person in the room is to be, or you, for any person in the room, is for you to be able to read the the other side of the table, to understand them, to connect with them, to empathize with them, and then to persuade them. Standing somewhere and just saying no, no, no is not a negotiation. It's, it's, it's um, I think it kind of misses the point. And what you'll find is if you, if you read in history about any both successful and unsuccessful negotiations, they will have a person in the room that spends a lot of time trying to build emotional and empathetic bridges between the parties. Um, Understanding what the other side wants is incredibly important. But understanding what you want is is equally important and if you're not getting what you want, leaving the negotiation is quite all right as well. Thanks.
0: David, um, with the sort of four or five minutes that we have left here, Um, I I have so many questions for you, but I I just want to focus on trust. So if you're in a situation, let's say uh, you got a bank and a company, and the bank perceives the company of not behaving above board. Maybe they're paying themselves too much money. They're not reporting on time. They're worried about a fraud. They don't have evidence of fraud, but they're worried about it. Bottom line is the banker doesn't trust the company. The company, on the other hand, doesn't trust the bank. They're the big, bad bank. Um, I'm the victim of this. You've got that whole kind of bad mentality. You can't negotiate without trust. Do you agree with that, number one? And number two, how would you go about building trust as a starting point between those parties?
1: It's interesting because I think you negotiate without trust. And the Middle East is a classic example of that. And, you know, the Russian and American salt talks in the 70s. are are, are evidence of that. Um, Trusting the motives of major entities or states, nation states, is different than trusting an individual across the table. Um, Trust comes from, it comes from understanding and perspective, right? So a lender that can put themselves in the shoes of the borrower and understand it is important. So my job as legal advisor to a lender is to make sure that we're not misinterpreting the statements of the other side as being hostile, but rather understanding where they're coming from. Sometimes just understanding where comments are coming from allows you to not take them as an affront. And that's really important. Equally, as from a borrower, and I have it I mean, I have it all the time from borrowers when I act for them, and when where where they get—you know—they're people who are, have been very successful business people. Um, they have you know, you know they have awards in boxes, you know, in, in cabinets on their achievement, and then they've got this bank sitting there accusing them of doing something wrong with their business. Um, And so they offer any competency or questioning of the choices they've made in business to be a personal attack. I tell my forward corporate clients that they need to put that aside and they need to understand the perspective from which the banker is coming. So, So again, that issue of listening I mean, if you've got thirty years' experience like I have, you've probably seen a lot of it. You know where they're coming from, but you do need to actually listen, and then each side needs to choose their words carefully enough to project
0: their genuine interests. Exactly, and, that's how and you, you need trust. To, and that's how you build trust. And you need to understand the meaning of their position as opposed to just their position, what it really, how it resonates with them what needs is fulfilling. All right. Um, thank you, David, very much for joining us. This has been a live podcast experiment for 15 minutes on Clubhouse. We'll see if the... Um, hey, hey, Anna, was David breaking up for you or is that my connection?
1: Actually, a couple of times, yes. Yeah,
0: Yeah, a little bit. Was It was it horrible, David, but you, wherever your connection was, was breaking up a little bit. Um, anyways, let's see how this worked. And uh, Chessa, thank you for
1: listening in.